Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Kiora and welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National with me, Alison Balance. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that usually comes to my mind when I hear reports of threatened or endangered species are birds, especially high-profile ones like kakapo and takahe. But according to the draft Threatened Species Strategy for New Zealand, which the Department of Conservation recently had out for public consultation, more than 3,000 of our native species are classified as threatened or at risk. And around 800 of these face the risk of extinction. That's a very sobering number of plants, animals and fungi poised on the brink. But there are also some exciting conservation initiatives underway around the country and tonight we're putting the spotlight on the plant kohurangi. It's one of two varieties of Brachioglottis kirkii and is found in small populations scattered across the North Island. Its threat status is at-risk declining, which means it's not immediately at risk of becoming extinct. But certainly, in the Wellington region, it's so rare that the small number of plants are individually known. Our story begins at the Zelandia eco-sanctuary with a translocation, involving staff from Wellington City Council and Greater Wellington, as well as keen volunteers such as Wellington Botanical Society member Chris Horn. This is a Brachyglottis kirkii, it's also kohurangi, and because it's Brachyglottis kirkii, it's also called Kirk's Tree Daisy. It's easy to dig holes, <laughs> provided you don't hit a tree root or a big stone. <laughs> so how big do the holes have to be? About 10, 15 centimetres deep, and the size of those panga trunks, so anything from about 15 to 25 centimetres diameter. It's a job where knee pads are useful, Alison. Definitely. Right, so that hole's big enough. So what's the plan here? So um, we're putting this Brachyglottis kirkii into these tree fern chunks and we're putting a bit of soil in as well and um, we're putting some of these plants into the ground and some of them up in the trees. It's got fleshy leaves and you can imagine, Alison, that they are highly palatable to uh, introduced browsing animals such as deer, goats and probably pig pig will probably root them out in going for the uh, root material. Uh, in flower, this is a really spectacular plant with masses of white flowers. And if you see them high up in the rimu, it is very, really very thrilling to see a plant like that up in a rimu, which doesn't have f- typical flowers because it's a podocarp. This plant up there, epiphytic, masses of fabulous flowers. It's quite something. So you've got the special mix for it? We're going to be putting in some neem granules, so that's to um, counter any uh, fungal diseases. We're trying to emulate epiphytic growth here, aren't we, by yes. planting it slightly above ground in this hollow mamaku tree fern trunk, uh, 
it, that trunk itself is proud of the ground by about 200 millimetres and probably 200 millimetres uh, below ground. And Peter's, we've put in some soil and some neem, and now we're going to put the plant in. Should we, do we tickle the roots? Should we take it out of the little plant pot or not? A tickle? Yeah, OK. Uh, hi, my name's Finn. I'm the curator at Otari Wilton's Bush. So these are your babies that are going on the ground today, or up a tree actually as well? We've got 50 plants for this site, and they're all seedlings grown from various plants from different populations in the Wellington region. I think we're going to aim to have about 25 planted in punga pots on the ground, 20 up in the tree. They're not ideal trees, they're macrocarpas, so you know we're going to have to use a bit of imagination. And then we're going to plant five directly into the ground just to see if they see how they do. But the, the real you know, marker of success is whether they start recruiting in the area and actually set seed. And, yeah. So why have you chosen this site here at Zelandia? This, because it's, it's kind of reminiscent of where we've collected in Wainui Amata up on the top ridge. And the day we came here, it was wet, cold, misty. It seemed kind of ideal. But they also, because they are mainly epiphytes, they do actually like... A lot of light, and so this is nice and open. It, there are some big trees here for us to plant them as epiphytes. It's also very uh, open to the public. You know, you need people to see them. I am Karen van der Wald. I'm looking after the conservation work at Wellington Botanic Gardens as well as Victoria Walton's Bush. So all the extra to work that Finn is doing, I'm assisting him with. And so extra to means? Extra to is when you take a plant outside of its natural environment, so either the seed or cuttings or anything like that, and you look after it in a safe place of safekeeping, like a zoo for animals. And then when they need be, like we've got here today, you can bring those plants back and reintroduce them back into the wild, into sustaining <laughs> populations. So how many threatened plants are you dealing with? At the moment, we what we do is we're focusing intensively on certain species. So that is at the moment four species that we're really managing right through from in the field, working with Greater Wellington Regional Council or DOC, um, looking at the ecology, getting the plant material into ex situ conservation, so either growing or as seeds in seed banks, uh, and then looking how can we propagate them, doing the research on them and taking them back. So those four species are what? Brachyglottis kirkihai, it's uh, Pymelia actia, so that grows in Waniomata. Then we're looking at Zyzegium, which is the swamp mairi, which is not threatened on a national scale, but on a regional scale there's only a few left, and it is a species that is threatened by myrtle rust as well, so we're really, really concerned about that species. And then we are also looking <laughs> at a couple of others. Cool. And you're about to run around and what, map where these have gone on the ground? Yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm in the background making sure that we're capturing all the information of where the plants go in so that when we come back to monitor them, we know exactly where they were planted so we can relocate them, but also under which conditions so that they grow into... Did we plant them in full sun, that they grow into the pungapoa pots, into the ground, in the trees, the aspect, everything else that we can start learning if these introductions are successful or not, and if they're not, what possibly could be the aspects that's making them less successful. It's already taken a few years to get to this point, and to find out how it all began, I'm off to meet botanist Riwi Elliott. He manages the nursery at Otari Wilton's Bush. It started when we began looking around uh, Wellington and through the New Zealand threat um, classification system lists, the vascular plant list, and identifying plants that we might be able to help conserve with our ex-situ facilities here at Otari. 
So one of those was Kirk's Tree Daisy, which formerly grew in Otari Walton's Bush and around, around Wellington, and now doesn't. Coincidentally, at the same time, the Dock Biodiversity Ranger in Wellington um, got a hold of us around the same plant, Kohurangi, and wondered if um, we would like to grow some for Dock. We also got in touch with uh, Greater Wellington Regional Council about plants that, that were known to grow on their land, and they agreed that we could um, grow some plants for them. And the intention long term was that they, these plants would be grown and then returned to the wild. We collected initially from two sites, in Wainui Amata and the Akatarawas, and we collected seed, none of which germinated, and we collected cuttings or clones, um, which we had very, very good success with, almost 100%. We grew on these clones and eventually were able to harvest seed from them. So this is a mixed population that we're harvesting the seed from in our nursery, and the, the seed from these plants did germinate. So when did this all start? How many years ago is this? 2009. It's a reasonably slow process. We got a little bit hampered uh, initially with our first success, taking the cuttings and getting them to root very easy, but growing them on uh, and potting them on into bigger pots as they get larger proved a little bit tricky. They do not like being potted too deep into the pot up, up along the stem at all. The stem starts to rot. When we were using the wrong mix initially, it was too wet. It was holding too much moisture. So they're a bit fussy. Well, we've found they have to have conditions that replicate what they might, you might find them in the wild. They're reasonably free draining. Yeah. They're remarkably drought tolerant. Apart from rotting at the stem, going from very wet to very dry makes them very susceptible to a fungal problem called Phytophthora. So we've, we've learnt to treat that with an organic product called neem that gives them a sort of a, a kind of natural defence to, to, to this fungal problem. But I guess growing them from seed has also been a learning curve for us, is understanding that, that they don't do well just being put on a regular kind of seed mix. And the best results we've had have actually just been sowing them directly onto sphagnum moss or uh, moss that we've actually collected from a region where, where they were self-seeding prolifically so they've done very well in that because it's a very light airy medium for them I guess. Botanist Owen Spearpoint from Greater Wellington Regional Council has offered to take me to see Kirk's tree daisy in the wild. To get to the upper Orongaronga Valley we have to drive deep into the mature native forest that makes up part of Wellington's water catchment. It's in behind Wainuiamata and is off limits to the public so it's quite a treat for me. We're on a ridge which is roughly at 600 metres in altitude. And it's misty as anything? It is. It's cloud forest. Um, it's what some people might call goblin forest or elfin forest. The trees are mainly silver beech and they are covered with mosses and lichens and epiphytes. And in front of us is a very special plant which is very safely housed in quite a protective cage. <laughs> it is, yeah. It was a plant that was originally an epiphyte and it was on a, a tree which was dead. And when the tree fell over some 15 years ago, we planted it on the edge of the road where it would still get enough light and we could uh, look after it because we recognise that Brachyglottis kirkii is an important species and a very good indicator of forest dynamics and forest health. The plant we're looking at is probably a metre tall and it's probably, I would say, at least 15, probably 20 years old.
Now it's got some dead flower heads on it. So what does it look like when it's flowering? It's a daisy. So it looks very much like a, a straw flower. If you can imagine a straw flower that's silvery white, quite small, about the size of a button. So why is it in a cage? This is to protect it from browsing animals and also because this plant is quite close to the road. It's one of the main plants that um, Otari have used in the past to try and propagate from. Um, But one of the issues that we have is that these plants are very scattered through the the forest and they rely on cross-pollination between plants. So clearly this is a very special plant. How many others do you know of? Within the Arongaronga Wainui Amata catchment, I know of probably a dozen plants, roughly. Which is not many. No, not when you consider that, you know, we've got a mainland island with, you know, people are walking and covering much of this forest. Uh, We've got hunters in here, colours. With all that activity, we don't find very many plants. So where is this one's nearest neighbour? The nearest neighbours to this one that I know of are probably along the road 200, 300 metres. And is this the only known population of Kirk's Daisy? No, we know of um, other populations in the Akateroa forest, and again we know of around a dozen. Riwi and I, when we first started looking for these plants, we found some in the Munga Kutukutuku Valley, um, underneath quite tall broadleaf podocarp rimu forest, and that we're assuming that there's probably epiphytic plants there which were seeding onto the ground. They were very small, like only a few centimetres tall when we saw them. Fingers crossed they're still there. (laughs) Speaking of little plants, earlier this year, Riwi and a team from Otari Wilton's Bush came into this site in the upper Orongaronga Valley and managed to find a few seedlings growing down on the ground in the forest. Owen's got the GPS coordinates and he's keen for a look. Time for a bush bash. So through all of the kidney ferns, which are looking... Very well watered and plump. And Owen has found the spot. We have a, a small brachyglottis uh, kirkii plant here, maybe 20 centimetres tall, 20, 25, growing at the base of a silver beech tree and in amongst the kidney ferns, so the seeds obviously blowing in here on the wind and growing, um, and which is quite a mission when you think it's got to find its way down through about 10 centimetres of moss and lichen and fern and kidney fern especially. And Rui and the team have made it safe by just putting a big roll of wire netting around it. Will definitely stop the the deer from from browsing it, or the goats. It's great that we're actually seeing some recruitment into the population too, and some really young plants. So they are hanging in there naturally, but you know, the more we can give them a boost, I think, the better. And when you look at them, they just look so sort of soft and fleshy and full of goodness. Ice cream plants, as they call them. It's interesting, we hear so much these days about predator-free 2050 for our birds, but we really should think about browser-free for some of these beautiful rare plants as well. Definitely being able to 
enable these species to come back and, and recolonize like there's old stories of the early people going into these sorts of places and they literally had to cut their way through plants like rakawa and brachyglottis to get their way up the spur because it was just it made up so much of the undergrowth and I don't think we realize how much that has changed over time and how much has gone to bring some of it back would be fantastic. So it's quite good that Otari and Zelandia are putting this effort into trying to create some other populations of it. Oh, it's extremely important. Like, it's fantastic they're doing this um, because this is often a nice-to-do. It's not a regular daily business thing. But it's important that we do have ex-situ populations. So um, it's worked very well for other species, like um, there's a, a shrubby... Um, Mullenbeckia, um, which has been propagated. And now if you drive down the roads in Petoni, you'll see it in planting aisles and all over the place. But again, it's probably as rare or rarer than Kirk's daisy in the wild. So these populations are extremely important and we can always use them like some of the plants that Riwi propagates will end up coming back into the Wainui Amata catchment and so complete the circle and hopefully we can plant some near to this one and we can get some more cross-pollination going on. Owen's comment about planting rare species on traffic islands has got me thinking. Kirk's tree daisy is a nice-sized shrub with lots of lovely white flowers. Could its salvation lie in gardens, which seems to be working for Kakabik? Back at Otari, I put the question to Riwi. Potentially, I wouldn't say it's as easy to cultivate as a Kakabik. It's, it seems a bit, a bit more fickle. So there's potential for it. Maybe some niche gardens are like a challenge, yeah? Of course, Riwi and Finn have had plenty of their own challenges with kohurangi. It was a new plant for us to grow, and very quickly, and within 18 months, <laughs> that quickly, kind of had figured out what was going wrong and how, how we should fix it. The next challenge was how to put them out into the wild. That's our end goal. When we planted them out, they lasted probably about two weeks, three weeks maybe max, before they started to wilt and, and die, probably due to Phytophthora. These plants are generally epiphytic, so they're growing on other trees or in other plants that are growing on other trees, so high up in the canopy, often in Rimu, Hinao, Matai, trees like that which are, of course, very free-draining. They're not in the soil. We've kind of replicated that condition by growing them in hollowed-out mamaku or, or black tree fern pots. That's something you learnt from growing... Varea rhododendrons. Varea rhododendrons yeah. at the botanic gardens, yeah. Yeah, you've got some over there in Planga pots? Yeah. Can we just pop over there and have a wee look at them? These are parent plants. These were all propagated from cuttings from individual populations. We're going to keep them here as, as kind of nursery stock. These are going to be the parents that will continue to flower and produce offspring. Are you also planting some out here at Otari Wilton's? Yeah, we're going to be replicating the same kind of planting that we did at Zealandia. The advantage we've got at Otari is we've got old forest that kind of resembles the forest type that we collected them from in the first place. So we've got Lots of trees with lots of epiphytes. But we still don't know if we've got enough for them to come back. And it's only 100 hectares here and, and heavily modified. So we still don't know whether or not this is big enough for a sustaining population. By planting out at both Otari Wilton's Bush and Zelandia, they hope to double the chance of success. 
At Zealandia, the Wellington City Council tree team is climbing the old macrocarpas, which will be home to some of the kohurangi. Now, I've come over to see what you guys are up to. You're standing, holding your hand up in the air, holding a rope, at the other end of which is someone who's in the middle of quite a bird's nest of ropes hanging from the tree. Yeah, so we've got Tim. He's um, planting epiphytes up in the um, macrocarpa tree. Basically, I've just put the, um, the plant in a little bucket, a soft bucket, and um, tied it on the end of the rope, and he's just pulled it up. And he's got a piece of sacking there. What's he going to do with that? So the aim of this is to um, to get the trees so they don't fall out. But we also want to see that they're visible so that people walking by can see them. So we have little cavities in the tree, which are probably not large enough to um, maintain the tree there for a long time. So we're just going to give it a little bit of support by um, stapling the, um, the hessian sack around the, the root ball. That's the sound of a staple gun. But it's really great if we can um, use the natural crotches um, and if we can effectively get plants growing up there then hopefully we won't have to use the sacking um, and they'll just sort of create their own habitat and you'll get more plants growing up and around them. Zelandia ranger Joe Lennington is excited about the eco-sanctuary's newest residence. It's quite cool doing a bit of a paired trail because uh, Zealandia is totally predator-free or herbivore-free and Atari's still got um, some possums and a bit of herbivory going on so it'll be interesting to see if there's any difference in the success of the plantings. So I'm very familiar with bird translocations here at Zealandia. I've been here for a skink translocation and of course there's Tuatara have been brought here but plants is a bit of a new thing here or well, have you so, done it before? So I guess we've been doing the revegetation um, and there's been thousands and thousands of plants being put in by hundreds of really committed volunteers over the years um, and that's why we've you know, got what you can see in front of you just this um, beautiful little patch of undergrowth happening but we feel like we've kind of got the forest structure, um, you know, we're waiting now for our potocarps to grow up and we can now just start focusing on some of those more threatened plants and, and provide good habitat for them so yeah, I guess it, it's possibly one of the first really threatened species that has come in. It's nice to see because the threatened birds get a lot of the publicity and yeah. we tend to forget that actually lots of our threatened species are plants. Yeah, exactly, yep, and they're facing the same struggles in their wild environments that a lot of uh, birds and skinks are, so yeah, to be able to bring them into a safe place and, and just hope that they provide everything that they need and hope that they survive is, is really cool, it's a really exciting project. You look like you're planting something that's not a Kurt's <laughs> daisy though, what are you planting? Yeah, so, um, so we are planting Astelia um, here with them, so in the wild uh, quite often the Brachlotus is found growing in Astelia um, and so they're just really effective seed catchers really, so we just thought we'll chuck some Astelia in today as well in the hope that one day there'll be a Brachyglottis kukii growing out of it. Now wouldn't that be something to see? A big thanks to everyone involved in this story, especially Zealandia ranger Joe Leddington, botanists Riwi Elliott and Finn Michalik from Otari Wilton's Bush, Karen Vandervelt from Wellington Botanic Gardens, Warren Smith from the Wellington City Council Tree Team, Owen Spearpoint from Greater Wellington and the enthusiastic Zealandia volunteers, including botanist Chris Horn. I'm looking forward to checking in on the kohirangi plants at Zelandia and Otari and following their progress. It would be great to see them in flower. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features. 
rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.